You're listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. Today's sermon is from Will Hutchins on Acts 18 about Apollos, Aquila, and Priscilla. Enjoy sermons every week here at the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy this lesson. Jesus. And a little bit more about um, 
him is that we can see that he's basically like a, a more educated and probably a little bit more presentable version of John the Baptist, where he's got this really powerful teaching that's very compelling as a speaker, probably, but he doesn't have all, he doesn't have all the information. He doesn't have, he doesn't have the details about Jesus. And these details are really crucial to the authenticity of our faith. Uh, details and little things can be really important. I don't know, for those of you who don't know, like, my whole situation or whatever, my day job, I'm a structural engineer. And that is a job where it is all about the details. <laughs> um, a lot of times, there's so, many, so much of my job boils down to focusing on very small aspects of a building, like how this beam connects to this column, or like what kind of screws we're gonna use to like attach this deck to this wall or whatever. And during my time studying engineering in college, all of the like really iconic or like memorable engineering disasters that we studied and learned from are all, uh, they all boil down to small details that people got wrong. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard of the higher regency, the, there was a famous walkway collapse in the 80s where hundreds of people were like crushed under a walkway that fell. And it, it fell because of a, a small connection was designed incorrectly between uh, like a support column and a, the walkway. Or more recently, there was a bridge on I-35 West in Mississippi that collapsed, and it collapsed because of just a small uh, shear connection between two beams that was uh, corroded and cracked, and they didn't catch this small little crack, and the whole bridge falls. Right? So, as an engineer, I strive to be detail-oriented. That's not necessarily my natural strength, but it's something I'm continuously working on. My wife is much better at details by, just by her nature. But because I'm always trying to be more detail-oriented and I have in the back of my mind, like, the, a bridge will collapse if you miss a detail, right? So I hate missing detail, like missing a detail, whiffing on some small thing. It makes me feel almost dumber than if I missed a big thing, right? Oh, well. And I've always felt like that, even growing up, right? When I was a kid, I was in Boy Scouts, and there was a, yeah, Boy Scouts. And there was, a, there was a time that sticks to my brain, the most memorable camping trip we took with Boy Scouts, was we were camping in this kind of low field, and there was a train track around the edge of the field. It was up on like a berm. So the field was basically like this big bowl. And so we got to the campsite, we're like, great, I pitched my tent. And I had like practiced pitching my tent at home, so I was like, I know how to pitch this thing. And then I had a couple other guys who were in my tent with me. I was like, guys, I got this. Here's how we set up this tent. Set up the tent, we go to like do our hike and get food and stuff. It's pouring rain through the whole hike. But I'm like, ah, oh, this weather's terrible. But when we get back to that tent, it's gonna be great. We get back to the tent, and I had forgotten a small detail, which those of you who've been, camp been camping before, Whenever you pitch a tent, you want to put a tarp underneath your tent because the bottom of your tent's not really waterproof, and so your extra tarp kind of like stops the groundwater from like seeping up into your tent and making the floor of your tent wet. And I didn't do that. So when we get back to the tent, there's a solid like inch and a half of rainwater at the bottom of our tent. I'm not exaggerating; like the tent is flooded. So we're like scooping the water out, and then I go through my stuff, and I literally I don't have a single possession that I brought with me to this camping trip that it is that is not soaked. <laughs> so I feel like the biggest fool ever. All of the these other Boy Scouts who are in my tent with me are like, what happened? And I'm like, forgot the detail. And in that moment, I feel like a cold, wet, foolish failure, right? And I tell that story because Apollos is in a spot where 
he's very confidently and zealously preaching about Jesus, and then someone comes up to him and is like, hey, you don't actually have the whole picture. You're missing some of the details here about what you're preaching about, right? And these stories aren't exactly the same, because in in Apollos' story, he has a a human person who comes up to him and tells him that he's wrong about something, and in mine, the laws of nature themselves (laughs) told me that I was wrong about something. So it's a little bit easier to be humble when, like, the universe just displays that you're wrong, right? Come on, Will. But the harder times are when a person tells you that you're wrong. Yeah. Um, so that's something to think about is for us to ask ourselves, how do you feel when someone tells you you missed, missed a detail or you're wrong about something? Yeah. Or if they just correct you in some way. How do we react to that? I know my natural tendency is I do not like being corrected. I want to avoid correction because I desperately want to be right. I don't know if you guys can relate. Feeling right is excellent, and it is something that I always desire. Now, so as I was thinking about this, sometimes I want to feel right more than I actually want to be right, if that makes sense. I'll explain what I'm thinking. Okay. Is that I want to be right so badly that even if I was wrong, I don't want to be corrected, because then I will feel wrong. <laughs> and so I'd rather feel like I'm right than actually be right sometimes. And then because of that, when people share things with me or they bring up something in my character or point out something that I did wrong or I missed or whatever, my natural tendency is I want to get defensive. I want to kind of like explain away why I missed that thing or why I made that mistake or why that wasn't actually a mistake. You know, it's all intentional or whatever it may be, right? And this attitude of defensiveness, I think, can kind of cascade not only in our like, interpersonal relationships with one another, but we can be like inwardly defensive towards the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So how do you, like, what is your thought process like? How do you think, or what do you do when the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and kind of gives you that twinge of guilt over something you did wrong or some right. mistake you made or something you said or didn't say, or just something that the Holy Spirit's on your heart about, it, right? We don't like that feeling of guilt when we feel like we've messed up. And I think that it's easy for us to really closely associate the guilt that we feel when we make a mistake or when we fail or whatever it may be. It's easy for us to really closely associate that feeling of guilt with sin. And I think that close association, it makes sense because you feel guilty when you sin. But Satan uses the closeness of the association to kind of bait and switch us. So we think that the guilt is the thing that's bad, not the sin. John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, and he specifically says that the Spirit comes to convict the world about the things that the world is wrong about, right? And that includes us. We are also being convicted by the Holy Spirit. And the act of us burying that, our guilt and trying to shut out that voice is really an act of quenching the Spirit and stifling one of his like core yeah. functions, core initiatives on earth. Yeah. And... I think that when it comes down to it, when we are refusing to look critically at ourselves or refusing to let the Spirit convict us, I think that it's really rooted in our, our insecurity and our pride, which yeah. kind of goes also intermingled. I think we're unwilling to encounter our own deficiencies. Because when we talk about our deficiencies, talk about uh, the, the ways that we failed, the ways that we messed up, uh, when we, whenever we talk about those things, uh, one, other people hear about them. And that, I don't know if you guys, that's really hard for me to know that other people know about the ways that I've failed. But then also that kind of leads us into believing this lie 
that we haven't just failed, but that we are failures. And then we come, we become defined by those failures. And we feel like that's who I am. Is I'm the guy who forgot to put the ground cloth under the tent, or whatever it may be, right? And this is exactly how Satan, the accuser, wants us to to see ourselves and believe that God sees us. That's kind of a sad way to see ourselves. Yep, absolutely. But there's something that shatters that perspective. And that's the irreconcilable truth of the gospel. Does not right. doesn't align with this at all, right? Because this is where baptism comes in, which coincidentally is the thing that Apollos hadn't fully grasped, right? He had he had only been taught the baptism of John, which is just a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins in that moment. And then because you've repented, you're gonna choose to not sin anymore, right? So that baptism forgives sins. But by a show of hands, how many of us have sinned at least once since we got baptized? Yeah. So that therein lies the problem with the baptism of John. Is that we baptism doesn't magically make us stop sinning, right? So God doesn't want us to just He doesn't want us to just understand that we're sinners in need of a savior in Jesus. That's what Paul Apollos understands at this point. That's what he's preaching. But that's not all of that's not the complete picture, right? God wants us to be transformed by his Holy Spirit so that we live like Jesus in this world. That's the baptism of Jesus. He doesn't want to just forgive our sins for one time. He wants to forgive our sins forever. You read in Hebrews chapter 10, talks all about that. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Come on, brother. Mm. He wants to send his Holy Spirit into us and guide us and change us eternally, right? He wants to fully transform us, not just patch us up take away the old sin and send us back out there to sin more. And uh, that's really where the baptism of Jesus comes into play, is the fact that that's a baptism for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And, yeah, this baptism gives us a new identity that can't be shaken by the times that we fail. It's, it's an identity that's defined by not our failures, but our identity as a, a son or a daughter of the living God. Right. And it's only through this new identity and the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we can really process our guilt, face it, and, you know, repent from it, but not be crippled by it. The Spirit gives us the humility to see when we fall short, but also the security to accept our failings and grow through them. Right. And where we meet Apollos at this point, he has every reason to be embarrassed because he's been passionately preaching about Jesus. He's been, he's been traveling. Alexandria's in Egypt. He's now in Asia Minor. Those places are not close together. Um, yeah, he, or he could get defensive. You know, he's been, he's like a, a class, classically trained preacher. He's been to these kind of Jewish teaching communities. So he's probably got a background similar to like someone like Paul, who talks about how they have this strong background of like theology. But he doesn't get, he doesn't kind of whip out his spiritual resume and be like, oh, I've been taught by all these teachers, or get defensive and say, like, oh, what do you know? Did you meet Jesus? Like, none of that. <laughs> he has the, uh, he really, he responds in a really humble way. Yeah. And yeah. how does he do that? Um, I think the Spirit's definitely working in this moment. And it's working through Priscilla and Aquila. Yeah. Let me talk about them a little bit. Oh, well. Is Priscilla and Aquila could tell that uh, Paulus was missing something. Maybe they heard his sermon and he just kind of like didn't mention the Holy Spirit or they could just maybe something was just off they, their little spirit spirit reader was dinging or the spirit just pricked their heart and was like you gotta like 
figure out what's going on here, whatever it may be, I don't know, scripture doesn't tell us, but they, we can really learn from how they handle this situation, how they uh, encourage and, and teach our guy Apollos here. So a question to, uh, for us to think about as we're kind of looking at Priscilla and Aquila is how do we approach giving correction to other people? Kind of flipping the whole, the whole idea of what we're talking about is remember how earlier I was talking about how I love being right and I'd rather I'd rather feel right than be right almost is that also comes back to bite me when it comes to giving people correction because I love being right <laughs> and so I can fall into the same trap where uh, when if I'm sharing something to correct somebody or even to just teach them something they don't know it's easy for me to be really self-righteous and really like full of myself that I know this thing or I am I'm right in this way that you're not. And this comes up especially with, this can come out especially when I'm sharing my faith with religious people. Um, for those of you who don't know, I went to school at the University of South Carolina, in South Carolina, which is like right there in the Bible Belt. Everybody goes to church in South Carolina. And so it was easy for me to just feel very self-righteous on campus where I'm like, meeting people and sharing my faith with them, like inviting them to come to Bible talk or whatever. And actually I had an attitude of like, all these people go to church, but they don't like, they don't go to the right church. They don't know the right, they don't know all the things that I know. And they're like missing it. And because of that, I was not very effective at reaching out to people who were already religious. And so I met my roommate, Josh. He ended up being my roommate at the time. But I met him, invited him to come to Bible talk and like come to church and stuff. And he was like, not really interested. I was like, okay, well, that didn't work. And then, <laughs> then we ended up becoming friends after that. So I'd already like felt like I'd already kind of struck out. He wasn't interested in coming to church, so I already like shared my faith and it didn't work. So we still became friends. And it was only after we became friends and he like saw that I was still going out to these things. He eventually he was like, oh, I'll come to something. And then he studied the Bible. And then, um, then he studied the Bible and got baptized. But it wasn't really my super compelling or like really engaging way of reaching out to him and it wasn't right, like the great right. bible talk that i did any of that that made him want to become a christian or made him open to sitting down and study the scriptures and look critically at his life right it was my friendship that got him to see that he still needed that transit that transformational baptism Come on. and so we can see that priscilla and aquila lead on hospitality they don't lead on they don't like call him out in front of the synagogue and like challenge him, they don't debate him or any of that. They invite him to come into their home. Yeah, yeah. And they, they lead by showing Apollos that they cared for him as a person. And that they, they showed him Christ's love. Oh, well. And for us, it's really important that we be people who, uh, we can't be people who love being right more than we love the people that we're trying to teach or correct. Come right? on. So Priscilla and Aquila didn't make it about them. They pointed Apollos to baptism, they pointed him to the Holy Spirit. And we can see here that the lasting impact doesn't just come from the fact that their hospitality was on point. Like it doesn't say that they made like the, the most fire, like on a Middle Eastern flat, flat, flatbread or whatever, whatever they ate. <laughs> but it wasn't that the hospitality was just so good that that's what got it, right? It was really that the Holy Spirit was working. And that hospitality opened the door and created the space for the Holy Spirit to work. 
Come on. And so we really, that's why we need that, that attitude of hospitality and that love. Uh, yeah, there's really, there's no amount of knowledge or good work or even hospitality. None of that will sustain us through, through the guilt of our own deficiencies or through helping and teaching and correcting other people on their deficiencies without the work of the Holy Spirit. So really, we need to be a congregation that leads spirit-driven lives. And as we're kind of wrapping up here, I've got a couple practicals on ways that we can do that. So the first thing is having a posture of humility. We can see that from Apollos. We need to be people who have the humility to initiate, to ask other people what they see in our lives, how we, what we need to grow and what we need correction in. If we don't have the humble posture, if you don't have the humble posture where you're willing to ask for and receive correction, you probably don't have a humble enough posture to receive unsolicited correction either. So it's, it's, it's easier for your heart to like open the door by initiating those things. Um, the second practical is hospitality. That we can be people who practice inviting others into our homes and into our lives. And yeah, that we can practice inviting people into our lives and then into our homes. The home is where families built. It is where we can confront our, our failures, our deficiencies, our junk in a, in like a safe place. And it's where we can really reinforce the identity that we are God's sons and daughters, that we are God's children. So something to think about this week is what are the specific times and places where you can practice hospitality, right? When I was in college, that place wasn't actually my home because I lived in a, like a nasty dorm. <laughs> But it was, maybe it was this spot in this dining hall. Like we had a table that was like kind of off in the corner. That's like our spot. So whatever that spot may be, if you have a home, that's probably a good spot. But yeah, my third practical for us is discipling, right? Uh, Apollos doesn't really, he isn't someone who just became wise out of nowhere. Who became learned in the scriptures. Who became a, a skilled uh, theologian and debater. Right? His character was refined over time by a long history that we don't get to see of Jewish teachers who taught him the Jewish law and taught him practices about how to live his life. They really would have refined his character over years. And we can see that in the apostle or in the disciples' lives with one another, that character isn't something that just happens. It's something that we cultivate over time. Right. And so... We need to be people who cultivate our own characters and cultivate the characters of those around us. So something to specifically think about is who are the people who you can, who you can specifically have in your life to help you cultivate your character. So yeah, on that note, I'm gonna go ahead and pray for us and then the singers come back up. Thanks, Will. So, Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this story of Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos, God, that we can see that there are details that we need to we need to learn, we need to reinforce, God. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that you don't just give us a baptism of sin removal, but that you give us a baptism of transformation and of new life, a new way to live. God, thank you for inviting us into your family and giving us a new identity. I pray that this week we can really be people who cultivate the characters of ourselves and those around us, that we can be humble and we can be hospitable. And that we can see the, the fruit of those, those character traits and, and of that uh, spiritual discipline, God. And with that, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Yeah.
We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. Be sure to check back every Sunday for new sermons listed right here. Subscribe to us on YouTube and like us on Facebook to stay in touch with all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley Church. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.